Hey, I'm Brian. I'm the minister here at Harmony Christian Church. Thanks for clicking on this video and giving us a watch. I hope that this video is an encouragement to you and whoever you might be watching with us today. If you'd like to find out more about us, you can go to HarmonyChurch.tv. And while you're there checking us out, what's going on with us, uh, you can do online giving if you'd like. Uh, that'd be awesome if you'd like to do that. You can do one-time gift or you can do recurring giving uh, there online. If you like, maybe you'd like to mail us a gift, you can do that by sending it to 7100 South Choctaw Road, Choctaw, Oklahoma, 73020. Maybe you'd like to give us a call. You can do that at 405-391-7310. But whatever, uh, today, uh, I hope that this video is an encouragement to you. I hope it maybe makes you think a little bit. And I uh, hope to maybe see you in person uh, here at Harmony on a Sunday soon. On March the 25th, 1911, the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory burned. It was on fire. And it was on fire because it was a garment factory. It was a garment factory that made mostly women's garments is what it mostly produced. It was mostly run by a lot of employees who were immigrants, immigrants from Germany. And a lot of those were women. And when I say women, I really mean like 12-year-old girls. 12-year-old girls who were working 14-hour shifts got paid around about $7 a week. It was a lot of hard work. And because there were shards of fabric kind of all over the factory floor there was had often been a lot of fires in fact there were so many fires that would happen at the factory that little buckets of water were placed around the factory floor so when a fire sprung up you could run over douse it with some flames well somewhere around about 4:45, somebody on the ninth floor yelled fire now if you've ever been to a store and Maybe you've noticed as you're walking around, you see a little door, and on that door it has a little sticker. It'll say something like, uh, this door kept unlocked during business hours. Maybe you've seen that. Well, you can thank the fallout from this fire in 1911 for that. Because on this particular day, as in every day, all the doors were locked. They were locked because of the managers that were there. They were afraid that some of these poor immigrant women might steal some stuff from the factory. And so every day those doors were locked. And just like most days, a lot of the employees and a lot of the managers smoked, and when they were done with their cigarette, they just flicked it down onto the floor. Well, at 4.45, this fire starts on the 8th floor. It quickly goes to the ninth floor. It's headed for the 10th floor. Some of the employees run to the top of the, run to the, top of the roof of the building trying to get away. Right next door was the New York City Law School. And there were some professors that saw what was going on, and they found some really long ladders and were able to extend some ladders onto the rooftop of the building. And the employees were able to use that as a bridge to get over, out, away from the fire and into the building. Other employees, well, it just wasn't in their cards. And the fire was burning around them. They just didn't know what else to do. So many of the employees on the 8th, ninth, and 10th floor just jumped out of windows. Others ran for the for the elevators that were there, hoping that maybe the elevator could get them down to a lower floor, but many of those elevators just turned into death traps. By the time the New York City Fire Department got there, it only took about 18 to 20 minutes for them to put the fire out, and in that time, 146 people lost their lives. You know, there are some people that just want to burn stuff up. And when it's burned, all that's left is the ashes. I remember a girl from uh, 
being working down at summer camp down at Camp Sooner. We would go down there for camp, and it was, it's always a fun time down at camp. It's it's hot and stuff, but you, there's just so much kind of like excitement that happens down at camp. It's always just a ton of fun. And that particular summer, I had a little family group that I was a part of, and there was this one 17-year-old girl that was a part of the group. And uh, usually during during camp, it, it's kind of an exciting time. Uh, a lot of the teenagers are they're trying to reach this point where they're beginning to own their own faith. They're asking questions for themselves and trying to examine some things. And many of them decide to do like things that could affect the rest of their lives, like making a decision for Christ or wanting to go off to Bible college, maybe become a missionary or discover like what's their calling in life. Like all these things kind of happen a lot of times in church camp. So it's usually a, a real exciting kind of uplifting kind of a time to be at church camp. But for this one particular 17-year-old girl that was a part of my my little family group, she wasn't really excited about anything. Like she wasn't angry, she wasn't hateful, she wasn't spiteful, she was just indifferent. Just indifferent to it all. And I remember as we were sitting around our group one night and we were just kind of talking about the day, I remember her kind of pretty pretty clearly she said, "When I turn 18, I want to move away from home and I'm going to leave the church. And I thought, I asked her like, well, why? Like what, what, what's going on? And she said, well, I'm a Democrat. And where the church that I'm at, I just, I just can't be a Democrat. And when I heard her say that, I thought, well, you know what? That's your issues. Like that's your problem. Like that's something going on with you, you know, and you just kind of need to figure that out for yourself. But then I thought, well, maybe something else, maybe something deeper is going on. Maybe maybe something, maybe there's another issue behind that issue. Maybe for her it's women's roles in the church, right? Like like maybe she's looking around and, and she would like to have maybe some sort of leadership role in the church. Maybe where she was at, maybe that wasn't in the cards. And if that was the problem, you, you, I could point her to other churches where women's roles are, are honored and, and used, wide, used widely around the church and Maybe that was it. Maybe for her the issue was was homosexuality. She wasn't gay, but she had a couple of friends who were. Maybe she was just got maybe she just got upset by those jokes that Christians tell that are so thoughtless. You know the one. You know the joke where God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. That joke. Maybe she found that offensive. Maybe she's just 17 years old and the aroma of that that desire for independence is just so strong that maybe she's reached, reached the point where she thinks that good is bad and bad is good and she just doesn't really even know which way is up. Maybe that's what it is. But yet her story is one of thousands of people who just kind of had this slow burn as they just sort of walked away from the church just, just to leave it all alone. Mm. I don't know what her problem necessarily was. I don't know what her issue was, but I was hoping maybe it was some kind of a slight. Like maybe if there had been something that I could apologize for and maybe there's some sort of reconciliation we can go through, but that that wasn't it for her. Somewhere along the way, in the church that she grew up in, her church community, 
that has loved her since she was just a little, little girl felt that somehow along the way she got this signal that because you're a Democrat, well, that's just a bridge too far. You're just not, not a part of us anymore. And so she wasn't angry. She wasn't hateful. She was just indifferent. You know, there's other people, though, that are angry and mad at some of the things that the church has done. And they probably literally would like to take a match and just burn the place down. Down to the ashes until there was just nothing left. I don't know about you, but I think I am done with the year 2020. I mean, can we just be done? Maybe next month we'll just have a celebration as the month starts and we'll just declare that 2020 is over and now 2021 can begin, right? I mean, COVID-19, quarantine, masks, uh, having to deal with new ways of kind of doing life. There's a presidential election going on, which means as we get closer and closer to November, things are just going to get nuttier and nuttier. We've had murder hornets. I'm, I'm just waiting for the report that tells me that now there's like robotic alligators that are coming for us. I mean, we might as well just throw that in there. So can we just be done, right, with like 2020? Like maybe we can just declare this just over and be just done with the whole thing? I don't know. But as I think about it, all the problems that we've had with 2020, there there is something that I think there's a bit of an opportunity, I think, that maybe we're missing out on especially when it comes to the church. You know, one of the things that, that all this stuff that's been going on in 2020 has exposed is exposed some stuff about the church that we're a little uncomfortable with. And because we're uncomfortable with it, it makes us angry. It gets us upset. You know, we're angry about things like racism and watching protests. It makes us angry. And part of that is because it has exposed some things about us that we don't like. And it's also, 2020 is also exposed that we don't really know how to do church outside of a building. Like we know that church isn't a building, but yet what we know is is that at a certain time and a certain place, we do these certain spiritual things. But outside of that, we just don't really know what to do with that. And I would say that in the midst of all this disruption, in the midst of all the things that are happening to us, right now is a perfect time to ask ourselves some tough questions. Right now is a perfect opportunity when everything is up in the air. Now is the perfect time to ask ourselves the question, as things kind of come back down, what are those things that I really need to catch? And what are those things that I just need to let go? And that's true when it comes to the church. Could it be, could it be, that when it comes to the church, that somewhere along the way, church just kind of got globbed on to some predetermined cultural stuff that really didn't have anything to do with what it meant to be a witness, that what it meant to be church, and because of that, we kind of lost our way a little bit. We, we've lost that ability to be a bit of a witness, and instead it's it's more this cultural stuff that we pay attention to. I mean, because when the Bible talks about the word church, I mean, we, we know, you've been to church long enough, you know that the word church in the Bible doesn't mean a building with programs. We know that it means 
people who serve and love other people. Like, that's what the word church is kind of all about. But could it be that one of the reasons why people are on this slow burn walk away from church, could it be that one of the reasons why some people are maybe just so angry with the church that they would just rather it just burn to the ground, could it be that some of that is because for a long, long time, Christians and church leaders have been on an ill-advised scheme to try to maintain some cultural dominance and cultural control. And it has twisted things, and we've got ourselves so tied into knots of us versus them in this search for political power. Genesis chapter 2, verses 22 says this, Then the Lord made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Now, this is Genesis chapter 2. So in Genesis chapter 1, uh, there's, a, there's a creation story there. And in Genesis chapter 2, you kind of get a retelling of the creation story. And this is part of that retelling of the creation story there in Genesis chapter 2. And in Hebrew, the word for man is ish. And the, and the Hebrew word for woman is ishah. So there's really not a lot of difference between those two words, which is interesting because one of the first things that happens when sin enters the realm of things between Adam and Eve, one of the first things that happens is a division, a recognition of us versus them. Which is interesting because in the book of Genesis, we're not really given a whole lot of details about Adam and Eve. I mean, beyond being told that they're male and female, there's really not a lot of like other things that we're told. Like we have no idea if Adam and Eve are white or black or Mexican or Jewish. The book of Genesis doesn't tell us that. Apparently the book of Genesis doesn't really think it's that important that we know. All we know is that they're male and female. That, that's all we're really told about them. And yet this division that starts here in Genesis continues on. You go all the way to Genesis chapter 10, and in Genesis chapter 10, there's this roll call listing of all of these nations. It's the first time in the Bible where different races and different places are sort of named. And all that happens just before the story of the Tower of Babel. It's really interesting. Uh, also in the book of Exodus, we see Moses, one of the greatest leaders in Israel's history. He does something that really hacks off his sister and his brother. He goes off and he marries a Cushite woman. And his sister Miriam doesn't like it. And his brother Aaron doesn't like it either. In fact, Miriam really doesn't like it. Which is interesting because Miriam, along with everybody else from Israel, has just left Egypt, which was based on race slavery. And they've left all that. And now Miriam is applying what she went through in Egypt to this Cushite woman that Moses has married. In fact, Miriam takes things so far that eventually God responds. In Numbers chapter 12, verse 10, we read that God becomes so disgusted with what Miriam is doing that God gives Miriam a certain kind of leprosy that turns her skin white because of what she's doing. 
kind of continue on down the road, things don't get any better with this us versus them thing. In the book of Judges, we see all over the place where where Jews are separating themselves from people who aren't Jews, and then they're also separating themselves from Jews that to them just aren't Jew enough, like Israelites are fighting Israelites. And we see this happen. The, the men of Gilead get all bent out of shape over the men from Ephraim, so much so that the men of Gilead rise up and begin to fight the Ephraimites. In fact, they just about wipe them out. But to make sure that they're all gone, the men from Gilead set up some gates with little walls around them to make sure that the Ephraimites have to go through these gates. And the Ephraimites had some kind of an accent. We don't know what it was, but we, what we do know is they could not say the word Shibbeth. They just couldn't say it right. And so when they had to pass through these gates, they had to say the word Shibboleth. And because they couldn't say it right, when they said it with an accent, they knew you're an Ephraimite and they killed you. Judges chapter 12 verses 5 and 6 tells us that 42,000 people were killed all because they just couldn't say the word right. Us versus them. Story of Jonah, same kind of thing. You know, in the story of Jonah, we get all cut up with the whale. It has nothing to do with the whale, but we talk about it a lot. What kind of whale was it? Or was it even a whale? Maybe it was a fish, some big fish that God maybe like miraculously formed right there just for Jonah. And how much air could Jonah have in the belly of a fish? Could it last for three days? You know, just what kind of fish are we talking about here? Is it is it alive today? Can we find the fossils of it? And all that is a something great to talk about, but it's a it's a distraction from what Jonah the story is all really all about. It's about nationalistic pride. It's about racism. It's about God telling Jonah, "I want you to go and talk to the Ninevites." And Jonah doesn't want to go. They're they're my enemies. I'm not going to go. So he says no. And he goes the total opposite way because he knows, because he confesses later on in the story, like, I know I didn't want to go there. And the reason why I didn't want to go there is because I know who you are, God. You're a God who's gracious and you're a God who forgives. And that's not what I wanted to see for my enemies. I didn't want to have that. And so the book of Jonah ends with Jonah so angry. He's so angry because he wants God to not be God. He wants God to treat enemies the way that Jonah thinks that his enemies should be treated. In fact, Jonah, you might say, is, well, he's really like an antichrist. Is what the story of Jonah tells us about. Jesus, when he comes on the scene, he brings all this up. In Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 25, we read this. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to a widow, a Zethrite, in the region of Sidon. In other words, when everybody needed some water and needed a little bit of help, who got the help? Well, it wasn't somebody who was from Israel. And then continuing on, verse 27, he says, And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet none of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, 
drove him out of town, and took him to the bow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. These people are so angry with Jesus, and yet all he's done is remind them of a story they already knew. They knew the story of the book of Judges. They, they knew about the story of Moses. They, they know all the way back to Adam and Eve. They know these stories. They know it. They just don't want to do it. You know, I think for a lot of people that are out there that are losing interest in the church, I think one of the things they've lost interest in is what we've forgotten, maybe, is the plot. Maybe what they were looking for was something more action-oriented or what they were looking for was something that was more relevant than they think the church is or, or, or should be. And yet nothing, I think, could be more relevant to our country, for our families, for our neighborhoods, than the church living out God's story here and now. And the thing is, it's a story we already know. It's a story of welcoming. It's a story of hospitality. It's a story of being gracious to all. It's the story of if God's house is to be a house of prayer for all nations, then it's for everybody or it's for nobody. And we know this because it all started on a cross where Jesus died for everybody. It's a new story, but it's a story that we already knew. The question is, what we'll be exploring the next couple of Sundays is, well, are we going to live that out? This is Revelation chapter 21. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with man, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Peace be with you.